Hello, welcome. It's good to see you. I'm glad you clicked this button. And we're here for another message in this sermon series that we've been going through the book of John. And I'm so excited that you're here with us today. This is going to be a great time we're going to spend together and listening to what God has to speak to us today. Uh, for you to get connected to all everything else that is happening here at Christ Community, you can visit our website or download our app. And there's more information under this video of what's going on. So check that out too. And after the message, as always, we're going to be here to chat about it and share some insight and ask questions. And so stick around for that too. All right, here's Pastor Alan. Enjoy. Hey, Christ community, it is really good to be with you today, to be a part of your spiritual journey. I would love to start with uh, just a word of prayer. I know we have a bunch of students that are uh, going back to school, and uh, so would you uh, just pray with me for our students? Father, thank you so much for this upcoming school year. And we pray for our students, God. We pray your blessing upon their experience. All the students that are getting ready for school, I want to pray especially for those who are starting at a new school. Maybe it's a kindergartner or someone transitioning to high school or whatever. God, would you pour out your spirit upon them? Would they know your peace? We pray for um, good friendships, that you would surround them with good friendships, that you would just bless them with great connections. We pray for the ability to focus and to learn, God, for any that are battling with anxiety. We pray that you'd fill them with your peace, Lord. God, we pray for strength for our students who, when they're confronted with the things of the world, that they would have the strength to discern what's happening and to resist and and a willingness to talk to their parents about what's going on, Lord. And we pray protection over our students, over any form of bullying or of violence or abuse or whatever. And more than anything, God, we are asking that our students would know that you are with them wherever they go, where at whatever every classroom, every hallway, wherever they go, you are with them. And so we pray for your watch care over them and your blessing upon them. So God, thank you. Thank you for this opportunity to look into your word. We pray that you'd speak to us now. In Jesus' name, amen. So today I get to talk about something that I am very passionate about, and that is how do we experience God? Not just as an idea or a concept, but as a reality. How do we experience God in the messes that we make in our lives? How do we experience God in the midst of injustices that are done to us or in the midst of challenges we face? How do we experience God in the day-to-day -day mundane of life? What does it look like to know and experience God in real ways? Well, we are continuing our journey through the book of John, and, and today we come to John chapter 7, which is a, a passage in which Jesus answers this question for us. In this passage, Jesus reveals to us the key to experiencing God. It is absolutely essential. But what we also see in this chapter is Jesus exposing some barriers to that. We see a group of people who are not experiencing God and why. So let's jump in. We're told in John chapter 7, verse 1, that after this, Jesus went around in Galilee. He did not want to go about in Judea because the Jewish leaders there were looking for a way to kill him. But when the Jewish festival of tabernacles was near, so I'm going to stop right there. 
Now, we know from these verses the time frame that we're looking at. Because the Feast of Tabernacles is approaching, we know that this is now the beginning of the final six months of Jesus' life. And John tells us at this point that Jesus has been up north in Galilee, but he will soon find his way to Jerusalem. And we find out how that happens in this passage. It all has to do with this Jewish celebration known as the Feast of Tabernacles. I learned so much in studying this passage, um, and I can't wait to share it with you. So the Feast of Tabernacles was one of three major pilgrimages in and festivals that Jewish Jews celebrated, um, the others being Passover and then in, in the early spring and then Pentecost in late spring. And so the Feast of Tabernacles was in the fall, and it was, a, it was an eight-day-long party. I mean, seriously. It was a joyful celebration in, in, in the fall that commemorated God's provision for his people during their wilderness journey after God rescued them from Egypt. So throughout the week, the people would eat delicious fruit, remembering God's provision of the promised land. And every evening they would light these huge 70 foot tall torches to remember God leading them through a pillar of fire. And then at night, the people would set up these makeshift tents, these booths that they would sleep in to remind them of God's provision of shelter in the wilderness. I mean, kids loved it. I mean, this was like camping out for a week. So the Feast of Tabernacles was a joyful celebration of God's presence and provision. In other words, it was about experiencing God. Now that backdrop provides a crucial framework to help us understand what is happening in this passage in John 7. In the first several verses of this chapter, we see people who are in the middle of the celebration of experiencing God's presence, but they're not experiencing God. And then near the end of the passage, Jesus stands up and he declares the key to experiencing God. So let's look first at how to not experience God, and then we'll look at how to experience God. So there are a couple of barriers to experiencing God that we see in the first part of this chapter. The first is unbelief. And this unbelief comes from a place that is very close to home for Jesus, his own family. Check out verse 2. But when the Jewish festival of tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers said to him, leave Galilee and go to Judea so that your disciples there may see the works you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you're doing these things, show yourself to the world. For even his brothers, his own brothers, did not believe in him. You got to love family, right? Um, here we learn that Jesus has some younger brothers he also has some younger sisters. We learned that from Matthew 13. So technically speaking, they were half brothers and sisters, um, half brothers, half sisters, because Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit within Mary. But after Joseph and Mary were married, they had several children. So imagine for a moment having Jesus as an older brother, the perfect child, literally. I mean, talk about you know living in your brother's shadow. Um, perfection would be really hard to follow. Um, imagine trying to tattle on Jesus. I mean, what do you say? He was too nice to grandma. You know, he's always sharing his toys. You know, good luck with that as a younger sibling. Anyway, here we see that his brothers are not on team Jesus at this point. They eventually come around. Um, we see that later in the New Testament, but not here. They're urging him to go down to Jerusalem for the festival in order to get famous, show the world what you can do. 
But they're saying this, not because they believe in Jesus, they're saying this as a way to kind of mock him and control him. This is, this is what unbelief looks like, often looks like. It, it looks like us trying to shape Jesus into who we want him to be. But Jesus will have none of it. Verse 6, therefore Jesus told them, my time is not yet here. For you, any time will do. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify that its works are evil. You go to the festival. I'm not going up to this festival because my time has not yet fully come. So this, I mean, this response has some heat on it. Jesus knows he is on mission and he is headed for a cross. And in order for all of that to happen, he has to be totally in sync with the father's timing. But his brothers don't have that perspective. Jesus says to them, for you, any time will do. In other words, they just do what they want. They are driven by self-centered desires. They fit right into the world. But Jesus doesn't fit in. He says here that the world hates me because I testify that its works are evil. You know, this dichotomy describes is still true today. Our world is perfectly okay with a Jesus who affirms our desires and affirms our choices. But the moment Jesus confronts our self-centeredness, our sexual practices, our materialism, our political idolatry, or whatever, he's no longer popular. He's viewed as being controlling or intolerant or archaic or whatever. So Jesus says, you guys go ahead and go to the festival in Jerusalem, verse 9 and 10. So after he said this, he stayed in Galilee. However, after his brothers had left for the festival, he went also, not publicly, but in secret. So Jesus, a few days later, Jesus does decide to go to the festival in secret. He now senses that the Father wants him there. And the thing is, everyone else, everyone expects him to be there. Everyone in Jerusalem expects him to be there. Verse 11, now at the festival, the Jewish leaders were watching for Jesus and asking, where is he? Among the crowds, there was widespread whispering about him. Some said, he's a good man. Others replied, no, he deceives the people. But no one would say anything publicly about him for the fear, for fear of the leaders. I mean, the anticipation in Jerusalem is palpable. People are whispering to each other. Is this guy Jesus going to show up? Who do you think he is? And their answers reveal that they still don't believe. None of them are articulating the actual claims Jesus has been making about himself. So, so here we are in the middle of this Feast of Tabernacles in which people are celebrating God's provision, but they don't believe in the one God has sent. Their cynicism, their unbelief causes them to miss experiencing God. Now, there's a second way we can miss experiencing God, and that is through disobedience. Look at verse 14. Not until halfway through the festival did Jesus go up to the temple courts and begin to teach. The Jews there were amazed and asked him, how did this man get such learning without having been taught? Jesus answered, my teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. Anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. Whoever speaks on their own does so to gain personal glory, but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is a man of truth. There's nothing false about him. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet not one of you keeps the law. Why are you trying to kill me? And notice what's happening here. Jesus is teaching in a very powerful way, and the people are wondering, 
with him being from Galilee, how does he know so much? He didn't go to seminary in Jerusalem. He's from Galilee. How does he know so much? And so he tells them that his teaching comes from God. He is only teaching what the Father wants him to say. He is all about the Father's glory. Now, here's the irony. This Feast of Tabernacles was a celebration of God's provision. And part of God's provision is the, was the law of Moses. But Jesus says to these people, has not Moses given you the law, yet not one of you keeps the law? I mean, that, that is a strong accusation. But then he backs it up. He gives them a specific example of this. Verse 21, Jesus said to them, I, d- I did one miracle, and you're all amazed. Yet because Moses gave you circumcision, though actually it did not come from Moses, but from the patriarchs, you circumcise a boy on the Sabbath. Now, if a boy can be circumcised on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses may not be broken, why are you so angry with me for healing a man's whole body on the Sabbath? Stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. See, the healing Jesus is referring to occurred when he was previously in Jerusalem. And he healed the man who had been paralyzed for 38 years. But because that healing happened on the Sabbath, it ticked off the religious leaders. And so Jesus points out how the religious leaders got upset about him healing someone on the Sabbath, but they are perfectly okay circumcising a baby on the Sabbath. Jesus is saying, look, you're willing to cut off a portion of a child's body on the Sabbath, but when I actually bring wholeness and healing to a person's body on the Sabbath, you're angry with me. And now what we see here so vividly on display is a group of people who are actually missing out on the very thing they long for. They're missing out on experiencing God. And it's all because of their disobedience, their misalignment with the heart of God. Now, Jesus says something here that really messed with me in my study of this passage because it reveals a totally different discipleship paradigm than we're used to. Look again at verse 17. In fact, I'd like you to read this out loud with me if you're in a place where you can do that. Anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. See, notice the order We typically think of spiritual growth happening when someone believes what Jesus says is true, and then because they believe what he says is true, they choose to follow. But that's not what Jesus says here. Jesus says, if you want to know whether what I'm saying is is true, then start doing it. Do what I say. And in doing that, you will discover that it's true. In other words, if you want to experience God more deeply, choose to obey him. Choose to do what Jesus says for you to do, whether you feel like it or not, whether or not it makes sense to you or your friends or whatever. Just do what Jesus, what you know Jesus wants you to do. And in those steps of obedience, Jesus says, you will discover that my way is true. We will go deeper in our experience with him because we're saying yes to him. Even if we're not fully convinced Jesus' teaching is true. This is so counterintuitive, and yet the more I thought about it, the more I realized that I've experienced this in my own life. I remember a season years ago when Raylene, where Raylene and I were in some financial trouble over a bad investment that we had made, and we were scrambling to make it financially, just to make ends meet. And I remember thinking at the time, maybe we ought to stop tithing during this season, and at least until we get back on our feet. I mean, we could really use that extra 10% of our income, so let's pull back on our giving until we're in a better place financially. 
Yes, I, as your pastor who teaches on tithing, was seriously considered stopping tithing for a while. And I'm sure none of you can relate. Okay. Uh, but anyway, this idea of not giving for a while, it made so much sense to me. Of course, that's what we should do. The numbers are right there. Now, even though this made total sense to me from a financial standpoint, I couldn't just dismiss what I knew Jesus taught about money. Give and it will be given to you. He didn't qualify it based on our current situation. Jesus repeatedly commanded his followers to give generously of our money, no matter what our circumstances, so that we don't place our trust in money. See, for Jesus, financial giving is it's a heart issue. It is not a situational issue. And he repeatedly told us, you can't serve God and money. Money is continually going after your heart. It's continually doing that. Okay, so I found myself in this place of wrestling. I know what Jesus commands me to do, but it doesn't make financial sense. We need that extra 10%. But after much internal wrestling, we decided to do what Jesus said rather than what made sense to us. We chose to obey him and to continue tithing, even though it was really hard to do that. But I am so glad we did because we experienced exactly what Jesus says. We discovered in a deeper way that his teaching is true. He took care of us. He provided for us. We experienced his loving provision in a dramatic way, a way that has marked our hearts forever in terms of financial generosity and in terms of his faithfulness. Our reluctant obedience enabled us to experience God more deeply. And I know that had we chosen, look, I know had we had we chosen to do our own thing, God still would have loved us. I know that. But we would have missed an amazing spiritual growth opportunity and blessing. The depth of our experience of God was dependent upon our obedience to God. That's what Jesus is saying here. If you want to grow in your experience of me, Jesus says, obey me. Choose to do what I say. And most of the people in John 7 were not obeying the word they had received, and it was keeping them from experiencing God more deeply. So are, are there things Jesus is asking you and me to do, but we're ignoring him? Things we know what he wants us to do, but we're ignoring him. And what impact is that having on the depth of our experience of him? And look, this also applies to those of you who are not even sure you, you believe in Jesus, but maybe you're exploring this Christianity thing or whatever. I think even if you're exploring Jesus. Yeah, you're not even sure you believe. I think Jesus is saying to you, try me. Start living your life the way I'm inviting you to live and see what happens. In that decision to obey me, you will discover that what I'm saying is true. See, according to Jesus, some people choose to follow him before they fully believe in him. Now, what happens in the next section of this passage all the way to the end of the chapter is that we see lots of people just continuing in their unbelief and disobedience. The religious leaders are still trying to kill Jesus. Others are confused about his identity. How can the Messiah come from Galilee? I thought he was supposed to come from Bethlehem. They obviously didn't know their scriptures, right? Um, and they didn't know much about Jesus and, in, 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 you know, in terms of his original birthplace and all that. There was just a lot of confusion. Okay, so now we get to my favorite part of this passage, 
where Jesus gives us the key to experiencing God. So look with me at John 7, beginning in verse 37. This is like my favorite verse in the entire Bible. I have a portion of this passage on the wall in my office. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this, he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the spirit had not been given since Jesus had not been glorified. I love this passage. In this passage, Jesus is telling us how we experience him. We experience him through the presence of his Holy Spirit continually filling us. That's the imagery Jesus uses here, is this image of a river of living water flowing from within us. This is not simply a theological concept. Jesus is talking about an experience, the Spirit of God, the very Spirit of Jesus, not just living in us, but filling us to overflowing. So Jesus invites us into a very real, dynamic, transformative relationship with him, through his Holy Spirit. Now, before we talk about how that happens in us, I don't wanna miss the significance of this moment in the Feast of Tabernacles. I found some really cool information about this on a website called Israel My Glory. So each morning during the eight day long joyful Feast of Tabernacles, there was a specific ritual that started the day. It really, it, it occurred. Um, each day. Standing at the top of the southwest corner of the Temple Mount, a priest would blow the shofar, which would announce the start of that day's festivities. And right when he would blow the shofar, another priest would exit from the temple area carrying a gold pitcher. And he led a joyful procession a processional to the pool of Siloam down in the, in the old city of David. And at the pool, he would plunge the pitcher into the water and then he would recite these words from Isaiah 12, verse three, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Then he would head back up the hill with his pitcher of water as the people followed with singing and dancing. And when he got back to the temple, he would stand in the place where the sacrifices occurred and he would pour out the water from the pitcher. And at that moment, there would be a great silence, a hush would come over the crowd as the people reflected on the significance of God's provision of water in the wilderness. So John tells us that on the last and greatest day of the festival, Perhaps right as the water is being poured out on the altar of the temple and the crowd grows silent, Jesus stepped out from the crowd and shouted in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. In that moment, Jesus was declaring himself to be the fulfillment of this entire festival. He was declaring himself to be the way for people to actually experience God in a personal and real way. And that way is through his Holy Spirit. 
Now, John tells us here that the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. But we, of course, know the rest of the story and how after Jesus' ascension in Acts chapter 2, he poured out his Holy Spirit upon his people, young and old, men and women, slaves and free. So what that means is at the moment we place our trust in Jesus, his very own spirit comes to live in us, which which is an awesome truth. But there's something more that Jesus is describing here in John 7. It's not just about our initial entrance into, you know, becoming a Christian or whatever. No, Jesus is describing a continual experience in which the very presence of God, the spirit of Jesus fills us like a river, empowering us and changing us and flowing through us to impact others. This is not a trickle. It is a river of God's presence flowing within us. So what this means is the spirit who lives in us wants to continually fill us to overflowing with his life and his joy and his power. I mean, this is amazing. The Spirit of God is available to us 24-7. We have access to the river of God's presence. So the key question is, how? How do we experience this Spirit more deeply? We know He lives in us as believers, but how do we experience Him as a river of life filling us to overflowing? How do we do that? Well, Jesus tells us, and it is so simple we, we tend to make it way too complicated. I remember in college, some friends of mine telling me I wasn't filled with the Spirit because I hadn't experienced certain manifestations that they had experienced, as if the Spirit of God, the river of God, is somehow contained within these formulas that we create. Well, thankfully, Jesus doesn't offer us a formula. Instead, he gives us an incredibly simple access code to experiencing the Spirit to experiencing the Spirit, that and an access code that any of us can utilize at any time, day or night. According to Jesus, the key to us experiencing more of the Spirit in our lives is thirst, being thirsty. The physical sensation of thirst in our bodies is a hugely significant thing. If we didn't experience the sensation of thirst, we wouldn't know our bodies needed water. We would die of dehydration. See, our capacity to be thirsty moves us to drink. And this is also true spiritually. Our thirst is what opens the door to us experiencing more of the Spirit in our lives. It's not about us praying a certain way. It's not about us having our act together. It's not about whether or not we've recently messed up. It's not about how much Bible knowledge we have. No, it's simply about us being thirsty. In other words, it's about us being acutely aware of our need. And in that place, we ask the Spirit to fill us in that need. If we're struggling with doubts and unbelief, guess what? We're thirsty. We can cry out to the Lord, help me in my unbelief. And that's a prayer we know Jesus answers. If we're struggling to obey Jesus in some area, guess what? We are thirsty. We can call out to him and ask him to help us obey when everything within us wants to do our own thing. When our life is a mess because of mistakes and choices we have made, guess what? We are thirsty. 
We can call out to Jesus and ask him to fill us with the river of his presence and grace and love and encouragement. When we need help to love someone that's really hard to love, guess what? We are thirsty. We can call out to Jesus for his spirit to fill us. The key to experiencing the spirit is not a bunch of hoops to jump through. It's just us being honest enough to admit our struggle, our longing, our desires. Where are you thirsty for Jesus in your relationships? Where are you thirsty for Jesus in a situation at work? Where are you thirsty for more of Jesus in your life? See, once you realize the thirst, you can then do what Jesus invites you and me to do. Come to me. Anyone who is thirsty, come to me and drink. Come to me and let the river of my presence fill you to overflowing. Again and again, this is not something we ever grow out of. It it is the key to experiencing God. Near the end of his life, the apostle Paul wrote these words. That is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I'm strong. Paul delighted in difficulties and weaknesses and failures and people making fun of him. I mean, are you kidding me? How could he delight in these things? Why did he delight in these things? Because he tells us, because every one of those experiences made him thirsty for more of Jesus. In in his weakness, he experienced Christ's strength because he was drinking deeply of Jesus in those places. Can you imagine what would happen the more you and I started looking at our lives through the lens of thirst? And in those places, we ran to Jesus again and again. We ran to Jesus and we drank deeply of his spirit, his presence. Can you imagine? Well, Jesus tells us what would happen. Rivers of living water would flow in and through us which sounds amazing, right? So where are you thirsty? Let's pray. So as we quiet our heart before the Lord, I, I want you to ask the Lord and I'll do the same. Where are you thirsty? Where am I thirsty for Jesus? Where do I need him? And as you're made aware of that area, are you willing right now just to run to him in your heart? To admit to him you're thirsty. And to ask Jesus to fill you with his spirit in that place. Let's do that right now.
yeah, I just have a sense that there may be someone watching, many that maybe where your thirst is just hearing is this place of anxiety. And that that anxiety is an opportunity to run to Jesus again and again and say, Jesus, I'm thirsty for you. For others, there are other situations, other challenges, God. And so we pray, Lord, you would help us live John 7, 37, that you would help us live this passage throughout the day, whenever we're thirsty, whenever we're ever need, we are running to you and we're surrendering to you, Jesus, drinking deeply of your presence. So fill us, fill our church to overflowing continually. River of God's spirit, just fill us. We long for you, more of you, God. You know, let me also just mention as a way of invitation, this is something I would encourage you to build into your life. In other words, do you have a regular time, a daily time where you spend it with Jesus, just you and Jesus, where you open your heart to him and you ask him to fill these places of thirst? Where where are you regularly drinking of the life-giving river of Jesus. Sometimes we just get so busy and life just keeps going. If we don't ever stop and just slow down to be aware of our need. So if you're not doing that, I encourage you, I urge you to build this into your life. Build a time into your regular routine where you're regularly spending time with Jesus and drinking deeply of him. So Father, I pray for that for all of us. God, we would build this into our lives so that we would be living John 7, 37. Lord, we would be regularly drinking deeply of you in our thirst. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. All right, thanks for joining us for this conversation. Let's talk about it. Alan, coming from the response time, I'll just jump in to say, you know, as I'm praying and... um, it just hit me in a fresh way that the thing about thirst is that it's not something to be fixed. Like we should be thirsty always. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because a lot of times like I'm thirsty, let me quench the thirst, let me, let me take care of that. And let me, uh, you know, it's something to be taken care of, which in, in part it is, but I was just reflecting on how that's it's a lifestyle to be had. Like we're always thirsty, like what you're saying, we're always, you know, making that, Intention, having that intentionality to mm-hmm. be drinking from Jesus. And I don't know, it hit me in a funny way that it's something to be cherished and celebrated. It's yeah. not a problem. It's amazing that well, we're how, thirsty. Yeah, that's how Paul looked at it there in Second Corinthians 12. He's like, I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships. Like that's language of joy and he delights in those things, but right. I think it's because of that. It just made him thirsty. It's when things are going well in our lives, we're not thirsty. That's when, you know, spiritually, um, it's counterintuitive, but we're probably not doing as well spiritually because we're just self-sufficient. Right. So, yeah. So, so how, so paint us like a bigger picture here, being someone who's, who's, been here beyond our times. How did it come to a place 
that the idea of I should bring God the test of who I am. Or like uh, that, that idea, like he deserves our best or I'm, I need to show up and give the best to God. I need to put on my, my suit and tie for Sunday because it's my Sunday's best. Mm -hmm. Because that almost seems counterintuitive right. to this, this, this idea of, of yeah. are you thirsty? Come to me. Are you hungry? Come to me. Yeah. Are you broken? Yes, I can do great things. Right, and being glad on the weakness compared to I need to get rid of my weakness because I need to bring the best. I need yeah. to bring the best. Yeah. yeah. I don't know, honestly. I I, I don't really know. Um, I think there's some, there's, there's always a continuum on this kind of thing. I think we do want to offer, you know, God at some level our, our best in some respects. Um, but the way we experience him, I think, is often in our weaknesses. The way we experience him more, most deeply is in our weaknesses. Um, um, because in that place, then we do experience his strength. And so it's not that we, I don't know, it's not that we stay weak in that place. We experience his river, right? And there's a there is a life that comes from that. And so it's that tension of, right. yes, we're broken, <laughs> continually broken. But at the same time, in our brokenness, we do experience the river if we're running to him. And so I think it's, there's something about the whole image that I think we got to keep uh -huh. always in mind. It's, it's not, not one just, or the other. Right. right. It's not, oh, I just got to be thirsty all the time. Well, no, Jesus is offering us a big gulp in our thirst. And, but we, we get thirsty again, you know, and so then we go back and, but there is a river that is ultimately the right. The so, 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 could it experience. be like the best to him is different than the perception of our best? So, so like, mm. I am at the best if I'm thirsty and drinking from him. Yeah. Compared to, I'm at my best if I'm th thirsty and giving him a, th a whole bunch of cash. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, or something. I don't know. Like, it's this idea of the things that he perceived as the best compared to our perceptions of the best. What do you mean on the, I don't understand the analogy. Play that out. Giving him cash or something. What you, what uh, uh, like, like? Um, I, I'm just going, like, growing up a part of that culture of this show up at church. And our family at home we would fight all the time we would have hard times picking out our mm. clothes for church um, our breakfast times were chaotic because we had to get to church and then it was like okay we're here at the church so everyone just give God your best and then we're like we give God our best and then we go into church and we put our hands in the air oh, and it. here's our best um, compared yeah. to our family just telling the truth right. and saying instead of our hands being like this it's like god like this like exactly. like give yeah. give me something uh, like and and that's our mm -hmm. best there are i think about um the 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 
grandparents that, that I had who didn't ever actually go to church, but the times they did go to church, he felt very obligated to put put a $100 bill in the offering plate because he thought that was giving God his best. Mm. And he would pull that out and he would fold it and then he'd put it in so it would kind of poke out. <laughs> and I can see it in my mind, but he would have on a suit because he was going to church and he would put the $100 in the off. And it was just like, man, God just is heart. Like that's mm-hmm. what he wants. That's the best offer and like so at the best of who I am it's I am thirsty and drinking of him compared to if I'm thirsty in a suit and tie saying or I'm thirsty putting a hundred dollars in the offering plate and I'm doing a soda or something I don't know it's yeah it's like the what the fair it's really religion right it's what the Pharisees their problem was uh, that they weren't thirsty and Mm -hmm. You know, and kind of that thing. We can live, go to church. I'm not, not thirsty. I'm just going to dress up, and do these things. But there's something about the authentic. No, I'm not doing well. My marriage is falling apart. This or that, and that. In that authenticity, I'm thirsty here. I need you. God loves that. It's the Luke 18 story of the, oh. the one guy going up to pray. Hey, I'm so glad I'm not like so and so. Right. I fast and I tie, you know, all this stuff. And and then the other guy's like, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus yep. says, that's the guy that is yeah. justified. God really wasn't even listening to the, like, he wasn't mm-hmm. thirsty. It was just, look how well I'm doing. And so yeah. that does seem to be at the heart of religion, mm-hmm. you know, versus yeah, relationship. Like, there's just this, like, this, uh, uh, the overarching theme that I think is God He isn't impressed. Impressed. It's hard to impress God. (laughs) Um, So if you, yeah, so if you show up Mm -hmm. and you try to show up, he's not impressed. But there's something about the opposite, like the broken heart, the the people and the beatitudes, that he's just like, yes. Um, yeah, there's the something in that that's really cool, you know? Those are the poor in spirit. The first right. beatitude is almost, it's John 7, right? It's, yeah. This is the access point. This is the entry way yeah. into experiencing God. It's just admitting yeah. you need help, that you need him. Always. Yes, yeah. exactly. <laughs> the humility yeah. posture yeah, instead of, I got this. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking to sorry, it's another topic. Great, no, okay, just another thing. (laughs) Um, because when you're talking about our thirst for Jesus, and I was just thinking how you know, specifically, we're thirsty for Jesus, and this whole thing we're talking about thirst for Jesus, but how a lot of times the way it plays out, it's not so evident. And you've Mm. shared a few examples, and and how we see this weakness and brokenness and thirst being expressed in different areas of my life and of our lives. I'm I'm thinking of my life, you know, how uh, a lot of times if you really break down the things that you're struggling with, if you start to pay attention to certain behaviors or whatever that you're wrestling with, if you go down, it's there's something in 
in the core of who you are, who you are that is wrestling and there is that it's a thirst yeah right and so i i just love that you brought that up in the sense of helping us or it's a call for us to be aware and identify how this is being expressed in us because it's going to be different in each of us and um yeah i think we talked about that i forget what sermon it was maybe a month ago or something but that jeremiah 2 passage of broken cisterns you know that picture of people they're thirsty for something right right but their cisterns are broken and i think that's so true it's just a different paradigm when you look at sin so often in the church our approach to sin is stop doing that but when you look and when you look at it through a lens of thirst right what am i really thirsty for why am i you know, I'm I'm looking to this thing that won't satisfy. See, that really gets at the heart of sin rather than just behavior management. Right. And so, yeah, I love that perspective. Mm-hmm. It's Jesus is saying, if you're thirsty, I'm what you're thirsty for. But sin really is, we're thirsty and we're trying to slake that thirst in all sorts of other places, mm-hmm. I think. And it's so cool that he shows up at the Feast of Tabernacles. Yes. And then he connects all the points. Of course, there. of course. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> that was so exciting. Yeah, that it, was really cool. Powerful, yeah. Uh-huh. The fact that John said it was the last and greatest day. They had. Yep. To, I mean, there's obviously, he's, he's letting us know this whole festival all week long has been building up to this moment and this is procession on the pouring water and, it's there's an excitement building this is the finale you know and that's when (laughs) jesus says that it's pretty cool it's very cool and it's very intentional i mean like how they all yeah it's just really cool something i was thinking about that kind of was inspired by the sermon but it's not is um the ability to anticipate being thirsty going forward um, instead of just today. Mm-hmm. And I'm bringing this up from someone who's like a backpacker, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm helping someone plan a backpacking trip who hasn't ever gone backpacking before, and he brought this this map out. And he said, I think I'm going to go and take this path. And I was like, that's a really bad idea because there aren't any streams or water that's coming over this, the thing I would do is follow this creek all the way up so that you have the access Mm. to this water the whole time. He's like, but but it's shorter over here. And (laughs) and I'm like, but if you do that, the thing you're going to have to do is carry it on your back. And that's going to be impossible to Mm. even get half of this carrying it. There's a stream here that although it seems harder, follow the stream and you don't have to carry it. You can just dip your water in like. <laughs> That's amazing. And, and, but in his head, it's like, this doesn't make sense. It's so much further. Mm. And it's like, yeah, mm. but this trip you're planning, you can't do it. It's not humanly possible. Mm-hmm. And, and so from experience, there's the anticipation of, I'm going to be thirsty. How am I going to quench that thirst mm-hmm. and stay close to the stream right yeah it's that whole <laughs> yeah. i will follow the st- stream compared to i will follow Taking the shortcuts. easy path right mm-hmm. it, 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 it's the easy just, path requires more weight to carry 
you know. And the odds effort. are he's going to get to some point that he's going to drink it all and be like, oh no. Mm-hmm. And so, or the and I think it's it's just very simple that all of the animals and vegetation come to the streams. Mm-hmm. That's where. It all happens. <laughs> yeah. uh, how 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 the city of Greeley and Fort Collins and they were built because of the the big Thompson and the Pooter and like yep. it's very simple, but you have to have it. Mm-hmm. And uh, so to be people who simply prioritize. So if. If Jesus isn't here, I can't survive. And I think, what does that look That's like? So good. Staying near the stream, then right. the, the water's there. We know we're going to be thirsty, but we got to be near enough to the stream. Right. Yeah. Um, which, yeah. How do you, how do you think about that? Because the to live in a way where you were, the stream is always nearby. Uh-huh. Uh, so as a backpack, I mean, that's all I think about. It's right. like, can I hear it? Uh, uh, so mm-hmm. is it over, like, so I even, like, say, is it over here? Because that's how I hike. It's going to always be on the, the left side. that side of me. I just have that habit mm-hmm. um, that it's going to be here. And if I don't hear it, if I can't see it, if I can't, there's a certain foliage that if I've gotten too far from that, it, there are things happen. Like I should go back. Mm, um, yeah. So I think from a spiritual perspective, uh-huh. there are the same types of things. Like, have has the heart posture you have? Has it gone? Uh, I know a mm. bit beyond the place it should. Are your th- thoughts going beyond his thoughts? Are your your Feelings, things that are not his. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and, and being sensitive to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. I mean, there's an abiding piece to that. But then I think there are also, in, at least in your life, I know there's a, a pretty consistent devotional practice, time yeah. that you practice in the morning that is very substan- substantive, you know, for yep. you. And it almost make sure that day you are staying close to the stream that you have access because you've rooted your life in that reality. Is that mm-hmm. how you That's describe it? That's pretty accurate. Yeah. 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 And I love, too, what you said, the just the awareness. Am I hearing it? Am I seeing it? I smell I it, yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm smelling it. And how that that's true tra- translates directly to our spiritual it experiences. Really yeah. Yeah, that listening... Because yeah. I know, yeah, doing hikes, I haven't really thought about it. But yeah, you just, you hear it, and you know when you're close to a stream or when you're not. Um, yeah. Yep. All right. That's well, great. Fine. I think that's a great story to end with. Perfect. Thanks for sharing that, you're KJ. Welcome. Thanks for joining us today, Thanks. and have a good rest of your day. <laughs>